Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, partners. I accidentally adjusted my chair's armrest. Uh, this is the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 119. Uh, Malthouse Games is a channel... Oh, my God, I feel like I'm all over the place. This is a podcast <laughs> all about board games, card games, role-playing games, tabletop games dice games things of that sort well in our defense we just recorded for an hour before this we really did so uh for those of you on patreon patreon.com slash malthouse games big shout out to our amazing patreon patrons allison alan jennifer and cliff thank you all so much for backing at the level in which you get shouted out on the podcast we have other backers as well they're all amazing but we did just finish uh recording a video for our patrons only. I know I talked about this last episode and I'm reiterating now. If you want to see that video, it is all about our trip to Cabin Con. There's hardly any board game content in that video, but it's a lot about us and hiking and what we did. It's basically me and Haley talking about uh, the trip, showing you videos we recorded, pictures we d- uh, recorded or took, and talking about all of it. Basically a reaction video to our own content. Yes, that's basically what it is, but I couldn't think of a better way to show our content than with us talking about it because why not? And you also get to see our unedited interactions as well. Yep. Including bloopers, snoopers, and boopers. Yeah, I'm literally not touching that video. We recorded it, and I'm just going to upload it and make it a patron-only thing, uh, because I, the more I worked on videos, the more I was like, oh, this takes so much time, and I think I found a nice answer that's a good middle ground where it just feels like we streamed it, and I think it's going to work. But yes, this is the podcast. Uh, Haley, which would you like to start with today? This is more of a cider, and that's or not a cider, more of a seltzer, and that's more of a beer. Ooh, let's do a beer followed by a seltzer. Okay. So we got a couple more brews from our friend Ben and Jesse. We do. Uh, this one here is from, uh, I guess Heart State is the brewing company. I'm trying to find, yes, Heart State Brewing. This is Break, their hazy IPA. Soft, tropical, juicy, and easy. It's an ale brewed with mosaic Simcoe and Citra hops. It says nine out of ten people will mansplain to you why this is the, their best style. This is the best style. There you go. It says drink what your heart desires and says please recycle on the can. Ben's note says this is a smooth IPA, probably the way I prefer the style at this point. Hoppy but drinkable. I'm excited for this one. I am too. It looks good. We only have one more podcast worth of Ben's beers after this. If we do two beers, then yes. Which the last two I feel like pair together really well. So to be continued. There you go. Oh man, I thought you were going to give me the bigger glass for once. Technically mine has more head, but yours has more actual beer. So there you go. Hey, thanks. You're welcome. All right. So this one is very, very hazy. Mine's more so because I got the bottom of the can. Ooh. Very golden. Mmm. It smells really like light. pineapple. Yeah, it's got a very light scent. They said juicy. Oh, wow. Mmm, that is good. That's very smooth. It kind of tastes like a little bit of pineapple. It has like that sweet, yeah. soury, tart taste. Very, very light, though. Like, not enough to say it's a sour or tart at all. Like, it tastes like an IPA, but there is that little hint of, like, almost fruit juice. Good stuff. Yeah, that's very, very good. Well, this is, what, we're recording this a week after we put our last one out. Yes. Because we are going to be going to Las Vegas, America. Yep. Here in the next couple of days. So yep. this will be releasing while we are in Las Vegas, America, before we go see the uh, AEW pay-per-view. It will. It'll release at noon on Sunday, the, what is that? The 29th. 29th. And that evening we go see uh, AEW's pay-per-view, Double or Nothing, there in Las Vegas. Very excited for that. 
but yeah, so we're recording this today. It's Sunday the 22nd. We'll get this knocked out. I'll have to edit it probably tonight, um, depending on, because I have to do yard work. I got to bathe the dog. I get some other stuff done. I might have to do a little editing tomorrow. We're going to see, but we're going to get a lot of that done working on that. So we haven't done too terribly much since the last time you've heard from us. Actually, I've done a lot. You have. What have you done? So aside from moving over all of the data from our old website to our new website, I got to see my uh, sister and my niece, Little Lake and Bacon, and we went on an adventure last Saturday. That's true. We uh, got up bright and early, hit up two farmer's markets, count them, two farmer's markets. We also took her to the Sam Noble Museum in Norman. If you've never been there before, it is a natural history museum that is managed by, I believe, the uh, University of Oklahoma Archaeology Department, so it's super rad. And uh, my sister, we're, we're in this, like, habitat that is supposed to recreate the Oklahoma Panhandle. And she's like, basically, uh, this is the Rainforest Cafe for Oklahoma, is yeah. what it seemed like. <laughs> I could see that. And so we went there, we came home, took a nap, and then we took Lake into her first drive-in movie, which was really fun. That is really cool. I didn't join Haley with any of this stuff. Uh, I stayed at home. Brian came over. We played some... Uh, board games, some card games, we played a little magic, we watched some TV, caught up on some wrestling, and just had a good time hanging out and chilling. Uh, I'm trying to think, We played. I showed Brian Fort, I got to put, play the Cats and Dogs expansion, I got to play Everdale for the first time, I got to play Red Rising for the first time from Stonemeyer. we played, was there a fourth game or is that all I played? I wasn't there, so I don't know. I can't remember now, we played Magic because we did a rotisserie draft of his cube of some cultivated... Uh, selection of cards. Uh, I just now realized I can actually look at my phone and figure this out. Yeah, we only played Fort, Red Rising, Everdell, and then watched some TV, watched some wrestling, played some magic. So we got plenty of game time in, though. That was very fun. And then this weekend, we've just really been relaxing. Uh, we took the day off from work and plans and all that jazz. And we just kind of been doing chores, running errands, uh, buying sun protective equipment for our trip this week. And then, like Delton said, uh, we recorded the Patreon backers video, uh, took a detour looking up tapestry from the 1100s right before this podcast. Okay. <laughs> We're trying to figure out, uh, uh, spoiler for the, the, the question of this episode, uh, we were trying to figure out something to do with London based on the game today, and I was like, well, the Bayou Tapestry is all about William the Conqueror taking, you know, London. And so I was like, surely that's in London. And then I looked, and it's like, no, it's in France. And I was like, I mean, I know Bayou is a French word, but William the Conqueror was in Normandy, which is north of France. So, of course, there'd be French language, but found out it's not in France. So I was trying to figure out why the hell it wasn't in France. And they just said it was moved in the 1800s. That's all I've got. Moved from England, I should say. So we learned something new today. Learned something new. And then we started recording this here podcast. And I'm really excited to talk about what we got today. Yeah. Number one, because I won. But number two, because it's a good game. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So the game for this episode is one that I picked up at Game HQ down in Oklahoma City. Whenever I talked about this, me and Haley went in and I found out they have a nice used section now. And somebody had came and dropped off and sold to the store a bunch of games that he was selling or they were selling because they were moving from the state and they needed to just unload some. So I picked up, uh, along with Ginkopolis, which we also played and enjoyed, uh, but I picked up London 2nd Edition. Uh, London is a game by Martin Wallace. It is illustrated by Mike Atkinson, Natalia Borek, and Premisla Sobiecki. 
uh, this game, the second edition at least, is published by Osprey Games, who I've Osprey has never let me down in terms of like having a good quality. They also did Cryptid. Um, but they also do backpacks. <laughs> different company, but yes. Uh, but I can't think of uh, I can't think of another game that they do actually off the top of my head because Osprey Games. I feel like I see their name all the time. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna look this up because I feel like this is one of those things where I should know and I just don't. But it's critical that I find this out for our viewers, for you listeners. You must know these things. Uh, Osprey Gra- Osprey Games. Geez has Undaunted Normandy, they have Cryptid, they've got The King is Dead, London High Society, which is a Reiner Knizia betting game that's pretty fun. Um, Let me see what else they have here that you might recognize. Whatever Bolt Action is, I've never heard of that. Brian Boru, High King of Ireland, one that I would like to play. Uh, The new Cryptid Urban Legends they've got. Um, It looks like they've got several different things, just some stuff that's kind of uh, escaped my viewpoint just because I I can't stay tuned into everything. Uh, I applaud anyone who can. There's so much. There's absolutely too much in the board game world to keep an eye out and understand all of it. So that's where we are. Anyway, that's from Osprey Games. So London here is, this is the second edition. The original game, from what I could tell, came out in 97. And uh, it used to have a board and have like a lot of different things going on. This is uh, looks to be more streamlined, more simplified. There's still a board, but you're not placing pieces on it. You're simply using it as a kind of a, a discard and draw market sort of thing. So in London, uh, you take the role of a prominent architect. You have to rebuild the city after the Great Fire of London. Uh, and you have to try to bring it up into the dawn of the 20th century. I don't remember the year, and it doesn't state it in the in the rule book of the year of the Great Fire of London, but I feel like that's a pretty common thing. Haley, will you look that up for me? Sure, I will. So, in this game, basically what you're doing is you are building a tableau in front of you of different city cards. You can also buy borough cards. Borough, borough, borough. Uh, borough cards. So, the borough could be like Westminster, or you could have the borough of, uh, you know, uh, uh, North Riverside. That's a fake one, but there you go. So there's different boroughs in the game as well. Apparently there's two. Yeah. One was in 1666. I need the later one. It said the second Great Fire of London was 1940. It's, so. it's that one. Because this, this is saying bring you into the 20th century back to. So I'm thinking it's the 1900 one. Well, I don't know. Because um, a yeah. lot of that in there is from like the, the 1800s, I want to say. I mean, it's got a lot of big, like when was Westminster built? Westminster. Westminster Hall, because that's that's one of the uh, boroughs you can buy. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, it's probably it's probably from the 1600 one. Westminster opened 1269. Oh Jesus! I don't know. <laughs> I'm so confused. Well, I'm not sure. Well, anyway, the <laughs> so just, the, just the so timeline. We're clear, like Westminster Abbey is in there as a building. It's from the 1200s. One of the fires is in 1666. The game is based in the 1800s. The second fire was in 1940. So this might be a mystical, just like made up fire. Well, it could be one of those things where it's taking you from the 1600s to the 20th century. But here's the thing. The theme in this, the time period, isn't like super prominent at all. It's like right? Charles Dickens era. There you go. That's, that's what it is. Charles Dickens era. That's what it feels like, right? It feels like old London kind of thing. Anyway, the way the ga- game is going to play is... Why do you got to make things complicated? Why can't they just have a 235-year history? <laughs> <laughs> it makes it easy, doesn't it? Just makes kidding. it easy. Our history goes back longer. <laughs> It does, true, but I know literally none of it, basically. Uh, So, in the game, it is a tableau-building game that is card-based. 
you're going to have a hand of cards on your turn. You can either play cards from your hand into your city by making stacks. So a stack is anytime a card is there, that's a stack. If you put a card on top of that one covering it, it's still the same one stack. You can have as many stacks as you want. Playing a card down is like building a building in your city. Uh, that is So that's an action you can do on your turn. You will discard a card that's blue to be able to play a blue card into your city. If you discard a brown, you can play a brown in your city. Or if you discard a pink, I kept calling them red, you can put a pink in your city. And that's how the game's going to flow for the basic building up. Now, each of those cards have uh, something that they do, for the most part, each of them, something that they do when you run your city. So another action, you can place cards in your city, you can uh, draw three cards, that's a simple action, or you can run your city. The option to run your city, you go through however many of the stacks you want, just the top card, like literally the cards are completely covering the card below it. So it could be a stack of 10 cards, only the top one that is face up is going to matter. But you will run your city, whatever top face up cards you want, you can activate their ability. Most of them, once they're activated, flip face down so you can no longer utilize them. Then you have to build something new on top of that stack to make more money, uh, remove poverty, or I guess, uh, what is what do they call it in the game? It's not removing poverty, it is alleviating poverty. Uh, you can gain points that way, different things like that. So you can play cards, you can run your city, you can draw three cards, or the last action you could take on your turn is building a borough or buying a borough. So you could say, oh, hey, there's Westminster. I'm going to spend however much Westminster costs, take these bonuses, and then have this one ability that happens every turn or whatever, right? Uh, so that's the basic general gist of the game. Anytime you discard, you discard to the center board on the table. Um, once it's full and it has to be discarded, basically uh, the bottom row disappears. They go out forever. The top row slides down to the bottom row and you keep discarding above that. People, when they draw cards, may choose to draw from the cards that have been discarded. I enjoy that kind of mechanic. I really do. It reminds me, in a different way, it reminds me of the money mechanic in Pax Pamir, which is, you know, a closed economy where you put your coins down when you buy, but then when people have to spend coins somewhere else, they go on the other end. So you're constantly rotating money through the market. I feel like the cards are that this way. You would put a card down, I would pick it up, I would then burn the same card to play a card, you'd pick it up, and then you'd play a different card to play it, and it was neat to watch those cards kind of circle between us. I think you equated it to hiring somebody. Like yeah. we are, we have the ability to hire this person or to you know, start this project. And if we don't have time to, we don't have the resources to, we let them go. And someone else has the ability to pick that project or hire those people back up. I really like that analogy you had. Yeah, I thought that was a good one. Thank you for reminding me that I had a good idea. Of course. And, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's a, like, here's the thing. This game is not hard to play. It is super duper simple. Like when we first sat down to play and Delton explained the rules, the very first round, I was very hesitant to play anything because I was like, I'm missing something. This has got to be more difficult than it is. Literally, okay, I lay these cards down, I flip them, I get the resources, I trade in those resources for buildings, and those are going to be powers. What am I missing? What am I missing? And it was nothing. So the first two rounds, I was very hesitant, but after that, I was like, oh my god, this is a very simple, easy, quick-playing game. I wouldn't necessarily say quick-play for the whole game, because for us, it was about an hour, 20 minutes. The, the box and stuff says... 60 like 60 minutes to 90 minutes i for me i meant like a, and i should have like, clarified like per turn like per turn it's like quick yeah. quick play it was like i play you play i play you play i play you play so it's not a fast game but it's quick playing like yes. in your rounds very very quick that's thank you for clarifying I, I should have caught that you meant that um and it really is i mean even on my turns where i was like hold on i have to think for a second they weren't that bad 
because you're not juggling with a ridiculous amount of uh, complex things. You have choices to make, which was nice. I never felt like I had to do one thing except for the very few turns where I'm like, I have to just draw cards. That's the only thing right now that makes any sense. And I say, I'm drawing three cards. I draw my three cards. It's the next person's turn. Um, so that was always really nice. But even on the turns where I had to think and I'm like, all right, I need to play this, play this, play that, discard this one, play this one, do that. Then my next turn, when I do this, I need to order them in this way, but they're never so complex. They're never so complicated that it was a long turn. So it really was. The turns between us both were very fast. Um, I liked that. I liked the simplicity of the game. The iconography, uh, at first, it looks a little like, okay, how do I read this? But then once you get it for a second, you're like, okay, cool. It's not super complex. It's nice and easy. Now, one thing to say about this game is uh, the economy in it, the money you're getting is very tight because you're going to get some money and you're going to spend it immediately and you're going to be broke. This game does have the option of bringing in debt. You can take loans and the loans in this game, you take 10, you can take 10 money if you can't pay for something, but then at the beginning of your next turn, uh, you have to not, not, not the beginning of your next turn at the start of a turn, you can pay 15 to get rid of it, which is good. Uh, you don't want to have them at the end of the game because they cost you extra. That 50% interest rate, though, that hurts. That hurts very badly. There's a few cards that can give you a discount. I think it was a couple of the burrows. If it's your top, even the burrows you buy overlay on top of each other. So you know if they're north or south or if they're connected to the river because some cards care about that. But they cover up the abilities of the one before it. So if you have a burrow that's got an awesome ability, but you want to buy another burrow, it's going to cover up that awesome ability and you'll never get that one back. So that's also interesting because. Every time you run your little engine you've built or activate something or use a burrow ability, the minute you run your engine, all those, a bunch of those cards are going to flip and now you have to rebuild. And it, it does, it kind of fits the theme of rebuilding because you're like, all right, I've built the workshop, I've built this boat dock, and I've got this building that's going to help me alleviate some poverty. Uh, I'm going to run my city my next turn. Then your next turn, you run your city and you do this and get money and you do this and do that and flip it and do this and flip it. Well, now your city's got nothing. But in all these places that could have businesses running, could have people working, could have things to do, could have, uh, you know, a new housing development, whatever it is, all those spaces at the end of your turn are give or in the end of the turn that you run it are now giving you more poverty because you do not have businesses to run and you're not doing that. So it's kind of an interesting way because, so the game has poverty as a negative resource. If you, you want to build your city and you want to reduce poverty as best you can, you want to have jobs, you want to, you know, let people have places to live, things like that. But the problem is, is every time you run your city to get your resources, to utilize things, discard things from your hand, all that, every time you run your city, once you're done running it, you're going to gain one poverty for every stack of cards, which is kind of like every area in your city. And you're going to gain a poverty for every card in your hand. For example, Dalton says like area in the city, you can choose to just lay down three cards and then that's only three poverty. But if you start to have a stack or four stacks of cards or five stacks of cards where you can run like up to five cards at a time. That's going to give you five poverty and those don't go away. They grow. Poverty is very difficult because even on a turn, and we had this multiple times with Haley, obviously Haley won and she trounced me, but even on a turn where you have, you run your city and the cards you're flipping are giving you money and removing poverty, they're alleviating it and you have no poverty in your city. You're like, all right, there we go. I've ran everything boom, you immediately get poverty. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's an interesting look at city building in a historical sense in that the bigger your city, 
you have to continuously try and alleviate poverty, uh, having those jobs, having those homes, having everything to help that, right? But it's no matter what, you can do so well to get rid of it, but then it's going to come back because now you've expanded, you've done all this extra stuff, and you've either overdone it. Like, it's an interesting, they've, they've simplified the concept, but it makes you think. The way they present it, the idea of, I'm playing this work building down now, that's alleviating poverty. But when you flip the card, it's like, well, now the building's shut down, so now there's poverty coming back, right? So it's kind of an interesting look, since this game is supposed to be taking you from the fire rebuilding to modern day, you're constantly having things open and close, is kind of how I took it. Mm -hmm. And so those things opening and closing, when they open, they alleviate. When they close, then they they cause more poverty. And so it's kind of interesting to take a complex, real-life thing like that and put it as a mechanic in the game, but it's one that when you sit and think about it, you're like, this is kind of a smart way to present it because it makes you think about it, but it also sets in that realization of like, this is not an easy thing to do in real life, to like run a city and rebuild and handle all this stuff. It also makes you feel like a complete jack wagon whenever you have the poppers in your hand and you're trying to do everything that you can to cast them back into the streets. Yeah, it's, uh, that makes you feel bad. So there's, there's a couple cards in the deck. There's like 11 called poppers. Essentially, they are a card. Um, I I love, by the way, that every person depicted on the cards are so cute. They have this like awesome soft wash, like blushed cheeks. So all the characters are like these cute little characters. Um, even though it's done in a different style, not a cutesy style, but you'd have to just look it up to see. Uh, but they have these poppers, and it's basically two people sitting on a curb, and the card does nothing. You can't get rid of it normally. You can't discard it. Normally, you have to discard it through an ability that needs it, or if you discard to activate something when you run your city. So it kind of feels grody, because it's sitting in your hand, which means at the end of running your city, it's always going to give you another poverty. But when you discard it, it just goes on the board and sits there and stares at you, and it makes you feel bad. It really does. Like This game does, does, does such an interesting job with the artwork and the theme to be light enough to play it, sit down, have a really fun time. But then when you start to think about the way the mechanics present themselves, I just find it to be interesting. And maybe I'm digging far too much. Uh, and that could be the case. But it's it's just, I don't know, it's fascinating. Well, I just feel like this is a very rich game for being such a simple game. That's a good way to put it, rich. Like, I, I feel like the mechanics are very simple, but it's not an easy game. I also feel like, you know, the the it's very easy to understand and the theme's very easy to grasp. But it, it goes a lot more deep than what it looks like on surface level. Yeah. And like whenever you're playing even the, the simple mechanics, like I said, it's, a, it's, it's not necessarily easy to win. There's a lot that you're having to take into consideration, but it's an easy teach. And I don't know. I've, I know we did a, an episode a while back on, uh, you know, creating strategy in simple games. I feel like this is a very simple game that it's very easy to create different strategies in too because my strategy is very different than Delton's. Like I went for a lot of buildings, buildings, building, building, buildings right off the bat. Delton went for a lot of points in, within his cards. It's like his monuments that he built, like those got him points at the end of the game. Like there's many different ways to create strategy within this very simple game. Yeah, Haley, buying the burrows, they give you points immediately. Not a lot of things in the game do, but buying a burrow is going to give you anywhere from like one to four points. So Haley did a bunch of that. At one point she had like 30 points and I had like two. But then at the end of the game, all the cards in the decks that uh, then basically all the cards we have played, all of those we added up. Haley got like 12 points from them. And I think I had like 28. So I had a lot of points in the card. I put cards I put in my city, but I didn't get those immediate points from the burrows. Uh, something else I find interesting about this, which comes back to the poverty mechanic at the end of the game. Uh, all the cards you still have in hand 
add a poverty to your to your uh stash of them, your your pile of poverty, and you discard those cards for good, uh, eliminate them from the game basically, and then the player with the least poverty gets to discard all of that poverty. Every other player then discards that same amount. Then you calculate the negative scores, negative prestige, it's called in the game, based off of poverty. So Haley had, what was it, 12 poverty? And I had like 30. So I had to, uh, Haley got to discard all 12 and take no uh, penalty. I got to discard 12. And then I took the penalty for having 18, which was like, uh, what was it? It's at, at 10. I think it was like negative 26 points or something like that. Because at 10 poverty, I think it's 15 points you could lose. And then every poverty past that was uh three. No, I think you had 18 poverty and I had 12 left. Maybe so. I think it's what it was. But either way, it's a lot. But that's a neat mechanic where at the end, it's like, okay, whoever has the least gets to not worry about it. This sets the baseline if everyone has at minimum that. It's only if you have over the minimum, which even then I feel like that's a social commentary on its own about right. how people compare things and... Like you can take on loans and take on debt, and take on poverty as a as a wealthy ish like pre- wealthy presenting person is more of the connections that you have that allow you to sustain your business rather than the actual money that you have. Because there are times where we were dead broke, and we are yeah. still finding ways to create these buildings. So, like Delton said, great social commentary. It is. It's really fascinating. Um, it's just it's a fun game. I mean, that's I think that's what it comes down to is the fact that you're building an engine to run it once, and then you have to essentially rebuild depending on the cards and then you run that and then you rebuild and you run that and you rebuild and you run that. And that's kind of the flow of the game. Uh, it's just a really fun game that was interesting. It was different. Uh, and it's, we haven't played a lot of Martin Wallace. I, I have a list of Martin Wallace's games. At least I have a list of his whole games. I'm only going to say a few here. His top games on board game geek. His number one is brass Birmingham, which we played with Nick and Jennifer. I, say, I thought we played that one. That's I want to one. pick it up. Cause I want to play it physically, not yeah. on the computer. Um, but brass Birmingham is number three on board game geek of really? all time. Brass Lancashire, which is a different version, similar with some differences. Number 21 age of steam. His train game is number one twenty six. railways of the world is one sixty two. steam is two thirty, and London second edition is three sixty five. I mean, to have six games in the top 400, two of them in the top 100, that's really good. Right. Um, and he's got more games than this. He has Australia and Tenor's Trail, it says, is a 2021 game. He had a couple zombie games and just, he's got a big list, right? He's a prolific designer, but I really liked London. I think London's very good. I thought it was interesting. You can still pick it up from what I can tell. Uh, it's a little expensive on Amazon. I don't know if Osprey has it for sale, but I could find it online to purchase in the second edition. And so that's why I was like, I'm good with covering it. Yes. And again, very simple, very fun. So I think, I think this would be actually be one, if you'd have a friend who's maybe played a couple of games before, this will be one you could teach very easily. Definitely. Definitely. Well, before we move into the topic, I say, let's crack our beer here. Cause I try to do that on the episodes, but I end up doing it after the transition. And then I feel bad. Cause if someone just wants to hear one section, they click it. They have to deal with us talking about beer. So that's fair. I'm going to do it before this time, but I need to finish this last drink. So Haley, fill the gap. Chug, 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 chug. Yeah, I did it. I love that it was like one drink <laughs> and you were telling me to chug. Hey, but I filled the gap and <laughs> you did. And you did it. Beer me a seltzer. I will beer you a seltzer. Beer, beer me that CD. Uh, so this is from RG Bevs, which is pretty funny. Uh, this is Bubbles. It's an apple, peach, and cranberry splash. 
That sounds it darling. It says hard crafted beverage with apple, peach, cranberry, and natural flavors. A refreshingly effervescent blend of peach, apple, and cranberry. Bubbles adds a bit of pop to any occasion. Real fruit, real flavor. 5% alcohol by volume. Ben said, not a beer, but it was popular in the Canellas household for a brief stint. So there you go. I'm sure it will also be popular in the Twyman Brack household. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if we can get this around. That is Ooh, a pink drink. That is a cute looking drink right there. That looks like something you drink with your girlfriends whenever you're about to get your nails done. This is mixing with the little bit of beer we have in our glasses, so the, t- the color's changing yellow. Like, mine looks lighter. Oh, Not by much. This looks so good. I like it. A very Wednesday drink. Yeah. Because we drink pink. I don't know what that means. Mean girls. Okay. Damn it. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of got a fruit juice look to it. It's Ooh. slightly hazy. You can see through it. It smells like apple juice. It smells like, uh, 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 what are they called? Mm. Seltzer for sure. Ooh. Not much tartness. I don't know why you made that reaction. I didn't taste it as tart at all. It tastes very tart to me. I got straight sweet. It was very tart and then sweet. Like a gentle sweet. I don't get much tart. I get more carbonation. But it does have a, has a sweet fruit mm. juice flavor. It is very apple. It tastes like a like a, a apple juice pack. Well, because they say they say apple, peach, and cranberry. I can get the apple, and I can get a little peach. And I hope and it says cranberry splash, so that's probably accurate because I'm not a cranberry fan, and I don't get the bitterness of the cranberry. Mm. Oh, that's a really good cider. Or I keep saying cider. Seltzer. A good seltzer. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's from R. G. Bev's. This is Bubbles. I like that. This is Reinegeist Brewery. Oh, there you go. So it's from Reinegeist Brewery. Where's that out of? I gotta figure out where this is out of. Hold on. Hey, they have nutrition facts on here. Oh, dope. That never happens. Uh, Independent Brewing Association. Uh, produced and canned in Cincinnati, Ohio, at Reinegeist Brewery. I believe Cincinnati is where uh, Jerry Springer was mayor in the late seventies, early eighties. I think that's right. Until he was busted for prostitution, wrote a personal check to a sex worker. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a smart idea. If you're wanting to not let people know that, you know, that's pretty great. Yeah. Oh, well, he's Fun Jerry Springer. Fun fact of the day. It's fine. Anyway, let's move to the topic. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for today that we wanted to touch on is debt in games. Because in London, when you can't pay for something, you may take a loan. You may go into debt in this game. That is something that is very popular uh, in several Euro games, I feel like. Uh, I'm going to try to look up now if somebody has a list that I can find, because that's uh, you know a big thing. It's either debt or it's loans. Ah, here we go. Got it. So yeah, so uh, basically debt in games is something that's very complicated. Me and Haley really never take advantage. Have you noticed that? I think it's because we both grew up with some sort of economic insecurity at some point in our lives. That's because we both grew up very poor. <laughs> I mean, really, that's the real, realistic truth of it is that uh, growing up, and I tell this the other day, like, so somebody had a Reddit thread and it said, um, oh, I'm trying to think of what the question was, but it was like, what is, uh, what is something that you buy that feels like great to buy kind of thing? And a lot of people were talking about all kinds of different stuff. And so I commented on there because I said my answer was um, like buying clothes from somewhere was like a big thing. Maybe it was when you were a kid. I don't remember. But it was like buying clothes because or really anything at full price from a retail store brand new. Because when I was a kid, up until the point that I was maybe seven, eight, nine, 
when I was a kid, all our toys, our furniture, our clothing, our kitchen stuff, it was all either hand-me-down, garage sale, estate sale, you know, a Goodwill. Like, that was where we purchased everything. Every toy I owned was used up until probably, you know, start six years old, especially seven. I always talk about that seventh Christmas where I got my N64 uh, tear away Adidas button down pants and a Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt. It was like the biggest thing. Hell yeah. But that's the moment in my mind I can look back at and go, that's how I knew we were pulling out of it. We were, we were, you know, my, my parents were making more money and we were not having to do that. Still to this day, you know, it's hard to go buy full price things sometimes. I enjoy it. And I think that's part of why I enjoy it. Like board games is satisfying to me. I can buy them used, but buying a brand new, nice, shiny board game in plastic, it's like, okay, I love this. Anyway, I think that that's part of where it comes from not wanting to take these debts in board games is because growing up, that wasn't something you did. And so every time I play a game with a loan or debt, I just avoid it. I try not to ever do it. I'm the same way because it feels a little too real. And like for us, uh, I think my indicator is like fresh fruits and vegetables. Because like we would yeah. eat a lot of like canned stuff, a lot of eeny weenies, a lot of canned peas and all that jazz. But like luxury was buying fresh fruits and vegetables. Ho, 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 ho. Right. And uh, I think for me, I kind of have the same thing. Like, I don't want to take on debt in the games because for me, it, it does trigger. I do feel like that almost an economic anxiety whenever I'm faced with having to take on debts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in London, there is opportunity to take on debts. And both Delta and I avoided that. We did. And I, I honestly don't think I've ever taken a debt in any game unless I've been forced to by a mistake. But yeah, we we both avoided debts in London, but there's lots of games that have debts in them. I'm going to bring that up first. So this is a list of 10. It's from boardgamehave.com, H-A-L-V. Uh, they've got 1817. I, it's, a, it's a train game. I don't know anything about that one. Uh, a game called Crystal Palace that I don't know about. Container, a game where you're driving container ships to make deliveries and stuff. They've got Preda Porter, which is a game we own and have played and really enjoy. Oh, I'm seeing the old board and the old look of the game. It's very different. But uh, yeah, Preda Porter is one that we both really enjoy. And it has loans in it. They're in those shapes, little credit cards in the new one. I think that's the only game that I've taken a debt in. Oh, that did you? Very, very early in the game of Preda Porter. Mm-hmm. Um, because with Preda Porter, like, you almost have to to get ahead pretty quickly. Yeah. Like you have to go into a little bit of debt. It's kind of like student loans. You have to take a little bit to get ahead, theoretically speaking. Not going to get into that. But when in Preda Porter, like I, I did take a debt once and it helped me get ahead very quickly. And I was able to pay it back. But yeah. I just took it one time. Yeah. Really early. Never again. And it can be a strategy. Like people talk about in some games, it's like take a debt immediately and then pay it off as soon as you can or hold it till the end of the game and pay it off at that point, depending. In London, for every. A debt token, every 10 debt that you have, they're only in increments of 10, and then they have a token of 30 if you have three. For every debt, uh, when you run your city, you take an extra poverty for that debt. So that's how that, how's that, that's how that works in London. Uh, they have a game called Homesteaders that I've never got to play. They've got Age of Industry that I've never got to play. At the Gates of Loyang. Mm-hmm. We have played this. We own it. That is one that we did not take debts in that I can remember. Uh, Steam, which is another Martin Wallace game. Lahav, which is a uh, Rosenberg game that we do not own and have not got to play still. And then Brass Birmingham. I don't think we took debts in Brass Birmingham either. But there's also other ways that debts can be uh, put in games. For example, like Agricola, uh, mm-hmm. if you have a starvation token, like that's kind of a way, that's kind of a debt that holds on to the end of the game. That's very true. It's like, hey, you couldn't pay this. Now you have this. And it's 
It's a different version of a debt. It's like right? negative points till the end of the game, but still like set you back. Exactly, because the, the hard part with debts, though, is generally debts can be repaid. And I guess that's the only point where Agricola's doesn't really fit necessarily. Look, I can see Looking that. at it that way is that there's no chance of repaying that. No, I, I see you know? what you mean, yeah. So take, looking at the debts more of as, as a loan is, I think, a better way, or if it's something that you can purposely offset to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Because in those games, you know, in at the gates of Loyang, in Preda Porter, in London, you're able to offset those debts in some way, usually by paying more money than the debts were worth, and be able to return them at that point and be okay. But debts is a weird system in a game because it can put you very much ahead, but it can also then hinder you in different ways. Because some games, uh, you lose points at the end per debts, or you have to pay them up when you're calculating. Like in Preda Porter, your money is your points at the end. So every debt you have must be paid plus its extra like you normally would at the end. There's no way to hold on to it. And I think it might be even a higher percentage kind of of interest, I'm going to say, whatever it is. Um, So there's different things like that that you just have to consider in London. uh, You not only take a poverty for each of them, but then you have to pay it back at the end. And if you can't afford to pay it back, I think you lose points in some way based on what you can't pay. So they're very bad, but they're something that they just, I don't know, they're in all kinds of games, but I've never utilized them to a point that I feel like I understand why they're there aside from catching you and kind of punishing you for not having enough money. And I think that's kind of our economic anxiety coming out too, because I can definitely see like that one time, the very one time I've ever taken a debt in game was, like I said, the Predator Porter game. And it really did help me get a leg up early on in the game. So I can definitely see where that could help you in London or that could help you um, in Predator Porter. That can help you in any of the other games that, you know, have that debt option. I think that we, in, when I say we, I mean you and I, just have a very negative connotation with debt. And I think that oddly, does cloud our our vision of debt and board gaming too because it has to be good there has to be a good like reason to use debt there has to be a you know a pro side to it and, and there is but i think that we see so many of the cons of it when our own you know worries get into the way that we don't actually utilize that well so if you're ever playing a game with us that utilizes debt that's our weak spot <laughs> we cannot take it that's very true and it's it's hard because in in board games that's something we need to focus on. Maybe what we need to do is every time a game has debt that you can voluntarily take, we need to try to do it to break that in board games, especially if it can benefit us. But I mean, it's one of those things where like there are positive debts. Like we bought our house. We're in debt for this home. We're in debt after the refinance, you know, but that's a positive debt because we like our home. We own our home. Now the value has gone up in our home. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's a positive side of debt in a way. The student loans, they can be seen as positive. There's obviously big negatives with the way they're done in the U.S., but that's a whole political conversation and economic conversation for later. Well, I'll get on my soapbox right now. Exactly. But, um, you know, student loans are something that if you if you, education is something that you value and you can utilize it to further your uh, self in life, that, and that's going to be a positive gain for you, then a student loan can be big, right? So there are positives to student loans or to, to debts. But in a board game, it's a lot more black and white, money versus no money. You know what I mean? There is no... There is no game where you say, I'm going to take this mu- this debt in the game. I'm going to take this loan token. That's going to allow me to do all of this. And now for the rest of the game, I get an extra benefit. And maybe that benefit is playing a card that gives you a new ability, right? Something like that. But it's more difficult in the game because it's extremely short term. There's generally a lot of negatives that come along with it that aren't just repaying it at more than you got, right? There's, there, there's always some kind of extra catch 
And so maybe that's part of why we can't push past it in the games. I think so. I think what we, what you're saying is we need a healthy anxiety. Yes. <laughs> yes. We need to we need to manage that anxiety about it. So healthy anxiety because anxiety can be helpful. Healthy anxiety is we're okay with taking debt in board games, but we're not okay with putting ten thousand dollars of the board game debt on our credit cards. I'm okay with board game debt, but not <laughs> any other. <laughs> no, just like I said, healthy. <laughs> yeah, healthy. Healthy is the key there. But yeah, um, I don't really know what much more to say on debts and games. It's kind of a hard topic to dive into because we don't utilize it. I would really be curious, and I know they put out this call quite a bit, but I would really be curious to hear what other folks' opinions are on taking debt and board, and board games. You know, if it's something that you find very helpful, if it's something that you also steer clear of, because again, Delt and I are coming from, you know, very clouded views on debt. And I know that, like I said, our our everyday life anxieties get in the way of our board game anxieties, kind of tying back to another uh podcast topic that we talked about which is replicating experience this definitely replicates our experience yes with, it does with games uh in real life so i would be very curious to hear if anyone else has any say on you know taking debt in board games what your experience is what do you find helpful what do you find not helpful so yeah call the action let us know what your thoughts are yeah definitely uh if you have uh, ideas on debts and board games how you've utilized them to win how you've utilized them and they've lost you the game anything at all about them uh, if you want to just, you know, shoot us a message on social media at Malthouse Games, or you can send an email to contact at MalthouseGames.com. We'd love to hear from you about your experience with debts in games, not debts made by board games. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe Delton would want to hear about that, but not me. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so that's, that's, I think that's good for the, the debts in games talk, because without utilizing them, it's hard for me to speak in too much more detail, which means it's time for the question. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So the question for today is very simple. What would you like to see in London? As in, if we go to London on vacation one day, what is the thing you're most looking forward to seeing? So I've actually been to London before, and so I've seen a lot, and I'm very grateful for that experience. But there is one thing that I want to go see again, and that is going to Piccadilly Circus, going to the Hard Rock Cafe, dragging Delton to the basement to stare at John Lennon's glasses with me for another 35 minutes while I cry. Have you ever thought about the awkwardness that you're staring at the glasses a man wore when he got shot? So here's the thing. <laughs> That's yes, a very because heavy... I got escorted away by security for it. That's true. Yeah, it was a, the security the guy at the Hard Rock Cafe back in 2007 was a guy in a leather vest, a big muscle, muscly guy in a mohawk. And apparently I was standing there too long and making him uncomfortable. And he has, actually escorted me away from the glasses. And I was like, okay. So I just want to relive that experience, but have Delton there with me. So I can be like, cool. And then, okay, I'm ready to go. And then I just stand there for another 29 minutes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, for me, it's very difficult because London has a lot of stuff. And I've never been. Obviously, the only time I've been out of country was into Montreal and Quebec, Canada. Montreal. And uh, yeah, so I want to go to London. I want to see lots of things in London. I am trying to think of like, the problem is what they have. So this is where the conversation in the, in the banter comes in where I was looking up the Bayou Tapestry because I am fascinated by lots of things. Oh, you know what it's going to be? I, I don't know if this is London proper or if it's more Britain or England. Uh, I want to see the defunct, like, monasteries. Oh, um, yeah. All the old churches that were whenever, uh, what's his name, King Henry VIII, and they started taking those out. Because didn't he, is, that, is he the one who made it Catholic or did he make them? Non-Catholic, Church of England. Church of England. That's right. That's right. Broke that's away right. from the Catholic Church, so he, he could made, divorce Catholic Aragon. I guess it's not technically Protestant. Was it 
Calvinism or was it Martin Luther, like Lutheranism? Or I was wanna, it its own? I want to say it was Lutheranism because it was like Diet Catholic. Okay. But they the, all the monasteries, though, they basically said, enough, and got rid of those. I want to go to some of those. Like, uh, there are very famous ones within Britain that uh, when the Vikings came and raided, they're like iconic areas. And the way that they take care of them and leave them as these like pieces of history, I think is fascinating. I don't know if there's one in London. I'm sure there's several. If it's if that doesn't count, I want to see the White Tower of London because that was what William the Conqueror built uh, after taking London. So, yeah. Yeah, I was in there. I want to go. That'd be cool. I want to see it. One of these days we'll get over there. But we yes, will. I think that's really going to wrap up the episode. I already thanked all of our amazing Patreon patrons. But if you want to be like them, head to patreon.com slash Malthouse Games. Uh, be sure to check out London from Osprey Games, second edition. Be sure to check out some of these awesome breweries we've talked about. Uh, make sure to follow us on all social media at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can always send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. Don't forget to check out our store, shop.malthousegames.com, where you can buy a t-shirt with our logo, a beer glass, some other stuff like that. Uh, be sure to send us any kind of email or message if there's a game you think we need to cover, a topic you want us to discuss, or a question that you think we should answer on the show. Or if there's any beers that we can get locally or somewhere around us that you think we need to have and you want to hear us talk about, uh, just let us know and we will do our best to find those. You can always find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-D-E-K. Though I have been less active on Twitter lately because I have been living IRL and I didn't notice how much of a Twitter addiction that I have. So if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me still on Twitter. But you can also find me at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-D-E-K on Instagram. That's at Squirrely Geek. You can also follow her at OK at Hiking. Yes. On Instagram. We're OK at Hiking because we're new at hiking and we're Oklahoma hikers. So OK at Hiking. Follow my adventures there because we're going to be in Death Valley on Thursday. First of all, you're screaming into the microphone, making it clip out, (laughs) you jerk. I have never done Uh, that in my life. Every time. Uh, (laughs) Yes, we're going to be in Death Valley uh, California, going to the national park. Very excited about that. We're going to hope not to get burnt to a crisp. Well, I guess you. If by the time this podcast has come out, we have, theoretically speaking, survived Death Valley. Yes, we will have hopefully survived Death Valley. You will be able to see posts about it then. So once this comes out, if you're curious, go follow Haley there and you'll see all kinds of stuff. But I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe and leave a review anywhere you can. Tell your friends and listen to the episode like 80 times and download it like four because it helps. Uh, (laughs) so until next time sit back relax grab a drink and play some games we'll see you folks later bye bye